We continue our sermon series on the Beatitudes. Today we look at the fourth Beatitude. So I invite you to listen for what Jesus describes as a blessed life. Jesus went throughout Galilee, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and curing every disease and every sickness among the people. So his fame spread throughout all of Syria, and they brought to him all the sick, those who were afflicted with various diseases and pains, demoniacs, epileptics, paralytics, and he cured them. And great crowds followed him from Galilee, the Decapolis, Jerusalem, Judea, and from beyond the Jordan. When Jesus saw the crowds, he went up the mountain, and after he sat down, his disciples came to him. Then he began to speak, and he taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. May God bless this reading to our understanding. In the morning, for breakfast, we ate rice and beans, sometimes with a side of fresh pineapple or maybe even an egg. For lunch, we sat down to a piping hot meal of rice and beans, occasionally with a small piece of chicken. And for dinner, we feasted on gallo pinto, which means the rice and beans are mixed together with some spices. Well, at the end of 10 days in Nicaragua, everyone on the mission team was ready for either a hamburger or a salad, and we made a beeline for those items as soon as we set foot on American soil in the Miami airport or in the Houston airport. We could hardly wait to taste anything except rice and beans. Over the years, dozens of teams from our congregation comprised of doctors and teachers and nurses and self-taught construction hacks and folks with no skills at all, like me, traveled together to work in Nicaragua with the poorest of the poor in our hemisphere. And over time, we came to actually really enjoy the rice and beans. I remember, though, how Stephanie confessed to us after years of leading those trips that she was actually allergic to beans. How did you survive, I asked her. And I remember the day that an elderly gentleman came in to be treated as a patient at the clinic we were holding in this rural area, and the doctor prescribed vitamins and iron, and the doctor wrote on the discharge slip, he needs to eat more meat. But then he explained to us when we were filling his bag of pharmaceuticals that he had recently lost his job and inflation was soaring under the new government and that in his house, so that household, they had stopped eating beans altogether because beans cost five times what rice cost and they were only eating rice. One year, Luis 
came to Kansas City from Nicaragua, Luis had been not only our interpreter but our leader for many years in Nicaragua, and he came to Kansas City to improve his English and to spend time making presentations in our church and in our community. And one afternoon, we carved out some free time, and Luis and I went out to buy the ingredients so that he could teach me how to make the proper dish of Nicaragua gallo pinto. And he taught me all the steps. He wrote them out. We, we cooked it together. He told me when I was making mistakes and stirring too much or too little. And, and I thought we had finally perfected it. But it did not taste the same. I couldn't figure out what was missing. Were the beans just not quite the same beans? Or did we not quite get the chili peppers right? Or did we put in too little salt? Nope, nope. That wasn't it. What was missing was the people. When you sit in a kitchen with a dirt floor and eat rice and beans under a mango tree, the rice and beans taste different. When you sit down for lunch and you can see the children playing soccer with the rag ball that they made, the rice and beans taste different. And when you are served a piping hot platter of rice and beans by ladies that you heard get up at four in the morning before the roosters even crowed, and you know that those ladies are only making $20 for the entire week to cook for your group, the rice and beans, they taste different. For me, rice and beans is a vivid reminder of today's beatitude. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. In so many ways, I'm a culinary snob. I subscribe to cooking magazines, take cooking classes, read far too many Instagram recipes, and I love to try new restaurants. But there is a deeper kind of hunger, a deeper meaning to it than to a platter of food, there is a thirst that cannot be quenched by a wine tasting or a glass of sparkling Pellegrino. This beatitude, it names that deeper longing in all of our lives, what we hunger for more than enough food to supply our bodies with nutrition. What is that deeper hunger? What do you and I want more than comfort and full bellies? The word in the scripture is righteousness, which is not a word we use very often, and when we do, we tend to use it in the negative, as if we might say about someone, she's so self-righteous. The Greek word for righteousness does not have a perfect English equivalent, you could call it justice, and that's very close, but I think it still misses the point a, a bit because we use that word justice in so many ways in English. But I like how one New Testament scholar describes the real definition of righteousness. He says it refers to the way of life of people who are generous with what they have who speak for justice when they have the opportunity, and who seek to do good on behalf of other people. 
But I think the key thing to remember here is that what we are talking about with the word righteousness is the very character of God. What we are aiming for is to create the world in the right way, the way God wants the world to be. In fact, one version of the Bible translates the beatitude like this. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst to see right prevail, for they shall be satisfied. There is a story that comes from the year 258. It's a true story about the governor in Rome approaching a deacon in the church named Lawrence and demanding that Lawrence turn over all the church's riches to the government. The deacon's name is Lawrence, and and he goes out into the community, and he spends three days giving away all the church's wealth. And then he comes back to the governor on the third day, and he says to the governor, I present to you the true riches of the church. And he presents to the governor the beggars, the blind, the crippled, the widows, And the governor is not amused, and the governor has him executed. So how is it that we who hunger and thirst for making the world right are blessed? The word blessed is also a tricky one to translate. It can mean favored by God. But one of my favorite translations is one that Tom Long says. He says it can mean deeply happy. Not just happy as in those who go to the beach for the afternoon, they're so happy, but deeply happy as in deeply happy are those who try with all their might to make the world the way that God longs for the world to be, whole and right and good. For me, one of the joys, one of the gifts of this particular congregation named Country Club Christian Church is that I have, over the years, been able to glimpse so many folks who embody this deeper happiness. I remember Bob Legg, who carried and chaired the church's food drive for decades. He collected and delivered thousands of pounds of food to Kansas City's hungriest neighbors. And I remember every time it was food drive day, showing up and seeing him already parked in the chapel parking lot before I even arrived, and he was just beaming out there, ready to collect the food, ready to deliver the food to our hungry neighbors. He glowed because he participated in this amazing task. And and I remember an elderly woman who lived in the most elite high-rise on the plaza when I first came here, and she loved to collect those little travel-sized toiletries from her own family and friends and put them in used Kleenex boxes and put a little tissue paper in there and make them look pretty and then deliver them to Rose Brooks so that women who came there seeking shelter had a nice little welcome kit. And... Shirley was her name. She could have easily written a check to take care of all these needs, and she did write checks to them. But what brought Shirley joy was being involved in the pursuit of making the world right for these women who had been battered physically, spiritually, emotionally. I think also of a couple who retired early. And then they spent many hours each week 
volunteering in the needle exchange program at Kansas City's Free Health Clinic. Oh, they knew that it was wrong to use IV drugs, but they wanted to prevent those who were already struggling with life because of their addictions from becoming HIV positive. And so they absolutely loved this volunteer job of supplying clean needles. Now, none of these folks that I am telling you about solved the problems of addiction or poverty or domestic violence. But the scripture does not say, happy are those who fix the world's problems, bringing about justice once and for all. No. The text says, deeply happy are those who hunger and thirst for the world to be made right. It is the pursuit, you see, it is the pursuit that matters. It is the pursuit to make the world the kind of world God created it to be, to reveal the character of God. The joy comes not because we feel good and we pat ourselves on the back. The joy comes because we find ourselves caught up in this pursuit of something so much larger than ourselves when we discover that we are participating in the divine presence of God unfolding on this earth when we realize the longing of God has become our longing too. The happiest people I have ever seen are the tired folks on the way home from Nicaragua, so sick of rice and beans and so deeply satisfied that they have found within themselves a longing to join God in making the world right. A few weeks back, Luis reached out to us from Nicaragua. His brother had had a terrible accident. He said his brother might lose the foot if he couldn't get the second surgery. And in Nicaragua, medical care is free. You can get in a hospital room for free. The doctor doesn't require a fee. But in order to get the surgery, the patient must pay for the supplies. And so Luis was trying to locate $500. No, I'm sorry, $400 to pay for the pens needed for his brother's second foot surgery. Some folks who knew Luis from our many trips to Nicaragua stepped up and said, I think we can make this happen. And Reverend Joe Walker sent some money from our church's emergency fund. And as I got the text from Joe saying, the funds have been received and they are on their way to buy the pens, I could just picture all those friends in Nicaragua eating rice and beans, and all those in this congregation who hunger and thirst for God's will to be done on this earth as it is in heaven. And I guess what troubles me, what baffles me, is that if this hunger and thirst for making the world right is what makes us so deeply happy, why do we waste our time and energy on so many other trivial pursuits? Over the holidays, our family watched the movie Respect about the life of Aretha Franklin. Maybe you saw it too. Afterwards, I fact-checked the movie and discovered, of course, yes, Aretha was known as the Queen of Soul. She did win 18 Grammys 
and was named number one on Rolling Stone's magazine list of the 100 greatest singers of all time. Many of us were shaped by Aretha's music. But what I had not known about her life story was how much time and energy she spent working for civil rights and women's rights and Native American rights. And the movie shows that at critical junctures in her rise to stardom, that she would step back away from the next big concert or from the way from the next big recording act and and she would go to wherever she was needed in the civil rights movement to sing at a church service, to sing at a march, to participate in a protest. Sometimes those civil rights groups were struggling so hard to make a difference, working so hard that they were not even able to pay their own staffs, and Aretha would write a check so that they could keep going. All of this was undergirded by Aretha's faith. She wanted all of God's children to be treated with respect. And at one point in the film, she tells those who are her music handlers that she's going to take a break and go and make a gospel album. And they try so hard to talk her out of it. They tell her that the world doesn't need one more gospel album, and it's not going to earn her any money. There's too many of those already. But Aretha puts her foot down. She refuses to perform or record anything else until she sings what she wants to sing, and that's the gospel, because she hungers for more than fame and fortune. She goes then to a church in Los Angeles, and in front of a live audience, she records this album, and this gospel album becomes her best-selling album of all time, the most success of her entire career, and the best-selling gospel album of all time. What gets in the way of all of us pursuing what brings us deep happiness? What gets in the way of all of us pouring our souls into making the world reveal the character of God. For 10 years or so, roughly, I don't remember exactly how long, but for a long time, a woman named Maria has come to my house to clean. I rarely saw Maria because I was always at work, and if I did see her, I was dashing in and out the door, just a polite wave. But for the last two years now, I have worked from home more, and the day that Maria comes happens to be my sermon writing day that I do in my home office. And so when the time comes that I am hungry for lunch, I emerge from my office, come down to the kitchen, Maria, I say, would you like a sandwich, some soup? Sure, she says, and we sit down at my dining room table, and I begin to learn the names of Maria's children the stories of her grandchildren. She tells me about growing up on a ranch in a remote part of Mexico. She was newlywed. She was raising chickens to sell the eggs. She was juggling an infant, running a kitchen with no running water, and there was no school in the area, and so the children from the neighboring ranches would appear at her door and ask, can you teach us to read? Can you teach us to write? Can you teach us math? And she had no training as a teacher, but a teacher she did become. 
and I learn that Maria loves recipes. And so we start exchanging recipes. And she tells me that at the house next door to where she lives here in Kansas City, there, there's a lot of trash in the yard. And people come and go from that house at all hours of the day and night. Drug dealing, she suspects. And she tells me that the man who lived in that house went to the hospital and he died of COVID. And all these years that she came to my house, but only recently did Maria become my friend. And at Christmas this year, after telling me that tamales are very difficult work, they take days, she showed up with tamales for my family. And this week, Maria said to me over a sandwich, Carla, do you like frijoles? I said, Maria, I love beans. And she said, well, I don't make them very often, but I made them recently. And I, I was telling my family, the next time I make them, maybe I'll come over to your house and we'll make them together. And suddenly, I could taste what I hadn't tasted in a long time. Rice and beans in Nicaragua. The hunger was awakened for justice to be done for all of God's children.